heard across the Resonate Regional Radio Network. It's my time, it's my life. I hope you will come along. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. A huge show for you this morning off the back of a historic day with Cattle Australia now to represent as a united voice. We're going to talk with Will Wilson shortly. We're also going to catch up with uh, Josie Angus to give us another perspective on it as well and have a look. We'll talk this morning with Jamie Sturrock, um, very well known throughout Queensland and Australia. His new working dog training online platform is up and away. This is arguably one of the best dog trainers and Australia's best dog trialer at the moment. Um, He's from Delaco. He will join us shortly as well. We'll keep you updated with Brahman Week and we're also going to talk to Cyril Close as well. A very good morning to everybody in Kingaroy through 4SB this morning, through 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longreach, 4GC Charters Towers and the Hot Country Network. Good morning to you. If you've missed any of our shows, you can always get in contact with me, ben.dobbin at ruralqldtoday.com.au or go to Wooshka and get in contact with me anytime you like. Big show for you, rural Queensland today. Uh, let's get into it. Will Wilson will join us next and we'll also talk to Josie Angus a little later as well, Jamie Starrick and Cyril Close. This is rural Queensland today. It's Wednesday morning, the 5th of October. Across the Resonate Broadcast Network, you're with Ben Dobbin. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Uh, ben Dobbin with you this morning, and we're going to kick off uh, with the news, and we talked about this yesterday. David Littleproud saying this had to happen. Uh, the grass-fed cattle-producing sector overwhelmingly voted in favour of establishing a new peak body, Cattle Australia, to represent it as a united voice. The new organisation will replace Cattle Council of Australia, which has been criticised for years, um, and obviously uh, as an undemocratic and lacking sustainable funding. The vote took place yesterday, consisted of two votes, the state farming organisation, 75% of which voted in favour of the new industry body, and the direct members, 91.75, who voted in its favour. Council Cal, Cattle Council President Lloyd Hicks said it was a historic moment for beef producers. Perspective is a funny thing. Will Wilson joins us this morning. Will, good morning. From Calliope this morning, your take on the uh, decision yesterday. Either way, it's an historic day for the beef industry. Oh, for sure, Ben. It, this is this is something. I mean, since it failed in 2015, this is this has been in the wings, and and this is a great thing. Great thing, I think, to be moving forward now because um, um, we we finally we finally got over the lump, the piece that we couldn't work out um, the the. the the, the, the trouble that everyone's been having or the misunderstanding of industry about it now, it's actually, it's a democratic show as of uh, the AGM or the, or the, or the new, the formation of Cattle Australia. It'll be democratic and everyone can have a say, which I think is a fantastic thing. Let's talk from the beginning, strip it back. There's obviously different peak bodies. How does this work that everybody is under one body now? Can you just explain it and dumb it down from your, from your view? Well, I certainly hope we're all under one body. The, the idea, so the MOU has a signatory and there's a peak industry council. So Cattle Council of Australia has been the peak industry council since John Anderson put it in place in 1998 or something like that. Um, and, and then there's Alpha and there's the sheep meats and there's the 
live live exporters and the processes, and they all sit around the table together and make decisions for industry and have oversight over the levy, um, as well as advocating the government. And and this this um, the peak industry council's been been there has never been more than one. There's been others that have been at that tried to be at that level and advocate, but the advocate advocating and and having oversight of the levy needs to be recognised under the, the memorandum of understanding which we have with government of how the levy spent. And that's the important piece here. That's why Cattle Council had to decide, um, the members of Cattle Council had to decide that they weren't going to be there and the new organisation can move in there. There were people that were saying that it didn't matter, Cattle Council just disappeared and the new organisation popped up and got plugged in. 50-50, I'm not sure, but this is the way that they were advised to go and this is what they've done. So it's fantastic that they've, they've got it across the line and, and Lloyd and his team at Cattle Council to get to get it to where it is, particularly with the people they represent are actually are actually um, gifting this back to industry so that industry can move forward with it. So well done, Phil. So does the, does the Cattle Council now represent the feedlotters or just the grass fed as well? Do they represent all... All beef producers. What, what what is that discussion that they have with with government? Are they our figurehead now? No, cattle council has been our peak industry council, sure. and it's voted to go to Cattle Australia. So Cattle Australia will be the grass fed levy payer representative for Australian, but yeah, the Australian grass fed right. uh, levy payer. Right. Um, yeah, and there's one for the feedlotters. And there's, you know, and there's one for the processes, and one for the live exporters, and one for the goats, and there's one for the sheep. Every, every you know, um, this is not an unusual problem either at this peak level. Um, it's right around all the different commodities have all got a very similar problem. It's, it's, it's a bit contentious in sheep, obviously. It's a bit contentious in a lot of industries. So um, for someone to get it to get it to this stage where we can move forward, there's a lot of things to still sort out. Um, the funding is obviously something really important. But being united, you can advocate for better funding, um, as well as uh, finding out who we are. Because at the moment, and I do encourage people to go on and, and get their name on the database so that we can actually have a dem- democracy. Um, but something that we did, Minister Littleproud said it, and Minister Watt is certainly in the same position um, that they can't give they can't they can't give industry. They're, they're representing the majority of people, so they need the majority of people to be supporting something for them to work and advocate for or lead as, as government, that, that group. And the trouble's been, you ask the question, you're not there representing many, you don't get the answer. So now we're looking to represent all beef producers and we need to get the levy payers and who the levy payers are so that you can represent them, which makes sense as a peak industry council. So this is the big step now. We need to find out who those people are. So it's a pretty... Pretty exciting stage, and I know that Minister Littleproud certainly said that once we got over this bump, that was something that was could be put on the table, and I'm certainly hopeful from conversations that that is something that will be definitely put on the table and we'll get those things sorted out. And like they said, in two years' time, there'll be a review after this one. So well done to them. Do you think they've got the funding for the levy going the right way? Have we got it? Have we got it? Being used the best possible way at this stage. There's a levy. There's a levy review going on at the moment, which is the amount of the levy and where it's spent. Um, one of the issues with the levy was they made the decision 
pre, pre my time, for, for sure, a long time ago, that there's a certain amount spent on marketing, there's a certain amount spent on research and development, and there's a certain amount spent on um, uh, NRS, uh, which is the residue um, yep. safety schedule. So the, the issue is, is it going the right way? If you make a budget for where you're going to spend your, your dollars this year, is it going to be right in 15 years' time? The answer to that is clearly no. So how is the levy going the right way? I think that everyone from the RDC, which is the MLA, right back to the average producer, the frustration is we're not nimble enough, we can't change. So the consumers asked us over the last 20 years numerous questions about where our product comes from, is it safe to eat, is it traceable, um, <clears throat> what's the, you know, the genetics of it, um, and now they're asking us about whether it's treated kindly or whether it's environmentally friendly. So how can that how can that spend of that that amount the amount that we're spending on research and development and marketing be be bang on when the consumer is moving so rapidly? We need to move more rapidly, and that's part of this. We need to start being able to to tread water a little bit quicker so we can answer these questions so that we make sure that we keep product in market and we keep and we keep the high value that we've been managing to achieve for the product. So that is part of the oversight piece that we need to get better and better at. And that's the job of the Peak Industry Council is to do that. Yeah, and the the big thing is it's being adaptable, isn't it, and making a change. And what you're saying is that there is now an opportunity where they're reviewing the levy because that's the contentious point. A lot of the members are like, "Well, we don't even know what our where our levy goes to." That's been and that's been the that's been the knock for a long, long time. Will it's easier to say. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So, this is a good thing. Um, Obviously, moving forward, you know, like there's going to be a lot of people involved, but. We've got a bigger voice now as one and united, in your opinion, at the table, and we've got some real challenges ahead of ourselves. So that's a, a, no, a pretty historic day in your eyes. Well, certainly, certainly something that all of my time in advocacy, there's something that we've been trying to solve, and I'm, I'm so pleased that it's done before I, before I step away. So uh, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a good thing. And I do need to say that there's a lot of noise out there about this, and the, the interesting piece of it is, there's not a lot of this difference between the two sides. We all still want to get a well-funded peak industry council that knows who its members are. Everyone, that is the goal of the organiser, to get to where we need to be. Um, but, um, and we, we put a lot of money, the government invested in, we industry have invested a huge amount of time and, and other people around have invested a huge amount of time in getting to here. We are all still on the same goal. It's just a pathway buried a couple of months ago. And there's just a bit of crossfire at the moment. But now, now we've got through that stage coming out, our goals are completely aligned, I believe, between both sides of the table here. It's just that we've got a pathway to get people elected. And I encourage people to have a look around. We've got a, uh, we've got a couple of months or, or thereabouts to find people. We need seven people from around the country to lead our industry. And I encourage people to start looking around and finding people that they think that can be respected and lead the industry. So hopefully um, that happens. Would and, you think and, about joining that? Would you think about being part of that? Mate, let's let, let's let's plug along. We've got to find seven of them. Let's plug along and see how we go. I, I, I think I think that it's um it's a great thing for industry that we that we do that and I hope that we can get more than seven because one thing about trying to have a democracy is if you've only got seven people put their hand up there's no vote. So we need to have more like 20 or 30 people put their hand up sure. so we can get a bit democratic about it. 
and and that would that would be a fantastic thing. And I encourage people to to get in, get involved and have a go because you know we need people to engage on this and and want to be in, involved and try and bury the hatchet because there's been a fair few of them flung around the room over the last fifteen years over this issue. Yep. Appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks for being with us this morning on Rural Queensland today. There's no doubt, Will, you always have the best interest of rural and regional Queensland and the beef industry at the front and centre of every decision that you're a part of. Appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for being with us. You're on your job. Thanks, mate. We'll take a break, come back with more Rural Queensland today on Wednesday morning, the 5th of October. Wednesday morning, Rural Queensland today, the 5th of October, not far away, will give you another point of view. Obviously, Will Wilson, very positive about the decisions that went on yesterday. We will talk with Josie Angus very shortly as well. But my next guest is a bloke that I've known for a very long time who follow has followed a dream and it's now turned in to one of his great loves and now a phenomenal business. Jamie Sturrick and his wife Marnie operate Craig Lee Rural, a family business located near Delacca, and they breed working border collies and performance horses under the Craig Lee prefix and have now got their most amazing new challenge just underway. He joins me this morning, Jamie. Good morning. How are you, brother? Yeah, g'day, Dobbo. Going well, thank you. Mate, um, I've got to talk about this, and you're very well known to a lot of people throughout Queensland and Australia with your working dogs, but... What made you and and got you attracted to working dogs and, and a passion for it? Because I mean, you've since gone on and won um, the Australian Open Cattle Dog Championship. Um, you've won multiple state and national championships. What was it that got you involved and and got you passionate about dogs? Yeah, so it was a pretty humble beginning, I guess. I, I've, I've worked stock for a living my whole life, mainly cattle. Yep. And um, I guess just early in my career. Um, you know, I really started to enjoy horses and, and then working dogs. And, um, you know, a lot of people would agree it's it's quite an addictive thing. It's just one of those things that, that, you know, can really practically help you in your work. And then I guess the better you get at it, you know, the more it opens up, you know, opportunities and, and things with your work. And then obviously there's there's potential in competition as well. But, um, yeah, it just, it just really drifted from, in, you know, enjoying those dogs at work and getting some use out of them. And, yeah, it just really grew from there. I don't think there's any doubt a, a good dog's as handy as a good man when you're mustering and, and can be more handy because if if they know what they're doing, they're the most valuable asset in, in your string. You, you obviously had a passion for it. I remember we played football together at, at the Cods and I remember that you, you wouldn't stay around. You'd go to a dog trial and you were just beginning and, I, I even recall one day when you came back and you went, mate, I went to this trial and I've just got so much to learn. I've just got so much to learn. But I, I honestly recall when I was talking to you about it one day that you said that the best thing about that industry and the working dogs and the trials is that everybody there who obviously at that stage was there to help you um, and you were getting into conversations with people who had been masters and and, and they were helping you with with this art that it is, with obviously dog trials and obviously getting your dogs right. Can you remember like just when you started off, there's obviously people that were that were really kind to you. A lot of it you learn yourself, but there was obviously people who had been in this industry for so long who were willing to share their knowledge and help you with it. Yeah, certainly. It's, um, I don't really have one particular mentor that, that I can speak of the most. I do, I do have a really good mate called Isaac Hotz 
he um he he got me going. Um, you know, he can convince me to go along and have a go at my first catalogue trial, and we have actually since worked together for a couple of years in a in a manager's job I had. But um, yeah, you know, he was probably my main main sort of inspiration to get going. We were kind of learning together, but um, it is just one of those disciplines, I guess, where you can pick up a, a few things off everybody and and kind of form it into your own program and. In a lot of ways, I was a bit blessed, Dobbo, because I didn't have, you know, a real mentor just down the road that, yep. that you know, taught me everything I know. That I, I really went out and found info myself from, you know, overseas and and wherever I could get it, and and you know, went back to the paddock and you know, a lot of trial and error. So one of the things that I think that qualifies me to help people with my dogs is that, you know, I've actually been in the paddock trying this crazy stuff that. Some of it worked and some of it didn't work. So, you know, if I'm if I'm helping people and I say, look, this doesn't work that well, here's a better way. Well, I I can sort of really stand behind it because, you know, I've been out there and run amok myself and and um, yeah, kind of learnt that way as well. You your greatest asset's your wife, Marnie. Um, she's been your biggest supporter and she's been next to you the whole way through this journey. And you you, you need both of you to, to make it and you, you've been running these working dog schools together which have been you know and people tell me they're sold out you, you, you can't if you could do them every week you know and they would sell out but you've taken it to a whole nother level now and I, I think people listening to us this morning are going to absolutely jump at this you've now got a working dogs training online you've started an online platform and I, and I went through it last night and it's a masterstroke. This is literally the tool that everybody can do it. And they, rather than having to travel huge distances to schools, obviously that's a part of what you or money do. This working training online is now a huge, huge part of your teaching. So anybody, whether or not you're in Cloncurry or you're down in Mildura, you can get the lessons from yourself through this working dog training online, this new website and um, platform training platform that you and Marnie have created. Yeah, for sure. And that's, as you mentioned, you know, it's not to replace these dog schools. It's just to, I guess, just to help more people and, and spread ourselves a little bit less thin. Um, yeah. You know, I, I have a cattle manager's job. It's part of my living. And I, I think what gives me the greatest credibility in the dog industry is the fact that I'm out there every day working stock with my dogs. So if I was to kind of, you know, cut back on that a little bit to do more dog schools, I'm starting to lose the credibility that, that sort of got me to where I am in the first place. So, yeah, we're really excited. And as, as you mentioned, you know, Marnie, I couldn't do this without Marnie. She's so so integral these days to, you know, now that our, our youngest Youngest kid is at, at school, so that's freed Marnie up with a little bit of time. And, yeah, she she raises our young dogs and our pups and puts them through their obedience. And and not only that, you know, you can imagine putting together a, a training resource. She's she's behind that video camera and, sure. and doing all our admin and all that stuff as well. So it's, it's 100% we've done it all ourselves, all the filming, editing and all that. And, um, yeah, it's a team effort and a, a genuine family business. We're talking with Jamie Sturrock, Working Dog Training Online is his new website platform. This bloke is born and bred in the bush. He knows it better than anybody. He is an absolute uh, winner in everything he's done. He's won several championships and just recently 
um, and I talked about this, was the 2022 Open Cattle Dog Australian Championship, winning that, which is just huge. Can I talk to you about, like, there's lots of common mistakes with, with dogs and you can have a dog with all the ability. It's bred right, you know, and, 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 and mate, I'm the perfect example. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I went out and I paid big money for a dog that had all the breeding and I saw its mum, I saw its dad, they could work, they could do everything they wanted. But I didn't have the skills and then when you get frustrated, you blame not the dog but there's a real art to it that you can go horribly wrong if you don't know the quick steps. In these kind of online training platforms that you've got, do you go through all those kind of things? Is that and, – and what's the biggest misconception that is that that I thought that if I bought a, a dog that was bred right because it's family, it would just work and I wouldn't have to train it? For sure. Dob, I think the biggest thing that, that people struggle with getting started is is just understanding, you know, their role as a handler. And then you kind of need to ask – you kind of need to know, you know, what you're trying to achieve yourself and, and what you need to do as, as pack leader and – and um and and the handler and then and then you can kind of slot your dog into the way you want to work your livestock. So obviously training and obedience and things are important, but um if you know if you don't know what you're doing yourself, yeah. it uh, it doesn't matter how clever your dog is if you if you're sort of not working with each other, and um and that's kind of where you start, and and it all progresses from there. Your dogs obviously are well known everywhere, and and there's a demand for them. And, and even the way that you go about presenting these online platforms, and, and I, I ask everybody listening to us this morning, we want to look after our own. We talk about that all the time on this show that we we make sure that we look after our own. Well, you've got this bloke, Jamie Starrig and his wife Marnie, in your own backyard, and you can actually download and go online now. Working dog training dot online. It's that simple workingdogtraining.online. If you go to workingdogtraining.online, um, we'll put that link up. You can go on there. You can obviously register and join. And, and then obviously this is a training platform. Obviously people like to to hear from you, but th- you're also happy to talk to people as well, aren't you, Jamie? Like this is something that, you know, that you're passionate about. If people have got concerns and they join this and they go about it. And it's a really simple platform. I had a look at it last night. It's a really easy way to join up. It's not a difficult uh, platform, but they can go through all the challenges with you throughout this training course. Yeah, absolutely, Dobbo. And that's the difference between, say, a, a two-day dog school or, or maybe a DVD or something that's out on the market already that, you know, we, we continually add to this this platform and, and tweak it and build it and improve it and show lots of different examples and, yeah, sure. The feedback there, you know, you can ask questions and and all that sort of stuff. And 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 we're led by those, you know, our members as well. So if someone's struggling with something specific that we haven't covered, we'll, you know, over the next few weeks or months, we'll we'll um, you know, we'll put a video together and and you know, approach that specifically. And and you know, it's it's there's two way feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Well, working dog training online is a membership website. So the members subscribe monthly or annually for access. The program is yep. structured and easy to follow. It, you, you're constantly um, putting new content and and doing diagrams and showing. And what working dog training online, why it's so different, is that you you're adding new stuff regularly and you're problem solving. You're helping. The training's real. It's practical. You're doing this firsthand. It's not it's not dummies. It's actually you doing this work and showing everybody how to do it and showing what can go right and what can go wrong. 
I think this is a masterstroke, and I think people listening to us this morning need to go. We're going to put this um, website up on our Instagram and Facebook page, and uh, and you need to get if you need to get in contact with Jamie, just go to workingdogtraining.online. That's workingdogtraining.online and have a look. Uh, mate, it's a long way from playing rugby for the Condamine Cods, but, mate, you, you've absolutely brained it. And um, and everybody – and, look, I've talked about you on this show before. You've had huge success, but it hasn't just happened overnight. It's from hard work and you're passionate about this and passionate people always succeed in the end. So it's a, a phenomenal platform that you and Marnie have created and, and we were more than happy to promote it on this show. I really appreciate it, Dobbo. It's been great to talk to you. Yeah, anybody interested, and I tell you, this is the best in Queensland and arguably the best in Australia, and he's in our own backyard, and he has a working training, working dog training online website that is open for business now. Get online and get in contact. Jamie Stark, appreciate you being with us on Rural Queensland today. Thanks, Dobbo. Good on you, mate. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. As I said, um, obviously at the top of the show, uh, it was a historic day for the beef industry yesterday. And obviously we talked to Will Wilson at the start, who was all for this. Um, We want to try and give a really different and uh, neutral perspective on this to see what is the good, what is the bad. Josie Angus joins us this morning. Josie, good morning. Um, I understand and, and, and I've read a lot of what you've had to say of recent time, probably not the decision that you would have hoped for yesterday. Um, morning, Ben. Morning, all. Um, look, I think the the vote taken yesterday, I guess, um, you know, the, the disappointing part really is how few people in the industry participated. Um, yep. And um, and I guess, you know, but the vote is, is, is the vote. And, uh, you know, my hope now is that, um, you know, I mean, obviously, my concerns had been around the organisation, a good level of engagement, and also having the funding to, to both do that and, and effectively undertake its role um, as a peak industry council. And so um, I guess now it, the proof will be in the pudding, you know, and um, and I think that first test is, is really that, that board vote come November. The big thing is who goes on that board for me. And we have to step away, I believe, and and I'd love your take on this, is that we, to get the right people on that seven-person board, you know, like we need to make sure that they aren't just, you know, peak bodies that are coming onto that board. Why can't it be a Josie Angus sitting there, you know, to govern that? Like why can't it be a Will Wilson and and those kind of people rather than, the people who have always traditionally, which was the, the you know, the ag forces who have sat there and, and had the vote? Well, I think the important part is that this organisation is able to reach out to people that we haven't seen their faces at the table, um, you know, and, and, and that's the important part for me, um, is, is not that it's actually the Will Wilsons or the Josie Anguses, that it's actually that this organisation, and, and look, it's, it's a steep job to go from 150 people voting on something to 45,000 producers plus participating actively in, um, you know, a in, in a vote in in two months time and just two months time and uh, and you know I think you know I heard Lloyd Hick on the radio talking about you know that uh, that the entire industry every level would be voting for a board in November. 
and I sincerely hope that that's the case. But uh, but it is a monumental task. Oh, I don't um, believe that and, that's going to be successful, yeah. and I mean that genuinely because if you look at the Ag Force elections, that there were sixty four hundred members of the Ag Force, right? Only, hmm. and I mean this only, twenty seven percent of the vote of, of that number of that sixty four hundred voted for that this current election. So that means that there are a lot of people who are feeling disengaged at this present moment. You can take what look ever you want at it, but to think that we're going to have that kind of voting number, I, I think is unrealistic. What, what What's your opinion on that? So engagement's the key here, and, and that's what we've been missing. And, you know, that's entirely where my, my comment came from. Sure. Is that, you know, without funding, it's a circular thing, without funding, um, it is impossible to, to get that, um, you know, that level of engagement. I think people often say to me, well, well, hang on, you know, AMIC works with the membership model, feedlotters work with the membership model, but the reality is that those two organisations can jump on the phone um, and within a couple of nights have contacted every member and got their personal view on things. Um, you know, to run an organisation that has somewhere between forty and 60,000 technical members is actually, um, it's a resource-intensive, you know, and, and what I exercise. And, uh, you know, there isn't enough money in the the RMAC school um, for us to achieve that. You know, I just like the idea that Cattle Council is beholden to the service organisation that it's supposedly holding to account in any form of service contract. And so the reality is, you know, in the next two months, how does Cattle Australia intend to engage, you know, uh, um, a decent level of, you know, of of the of producers, and uh, and that's I guess um, that's the challenge, and um, and I'm disappointed that that didn't happen throughout the process because by golly, it would have been nice to have had them engaged by now. Um, but uh, it'll be I'll be watching very interested to see what happens in the next two months. Would you vote? Would you go on the board? <laughs> My day job's going to be pretty busy. At the Come moment, on, but, I'm just asking. I, I would always, you, would you, um, yeah. you know, and uh, I mean, it, it, you know, even with Cattle Council, um, you know, and, and there was a few people didn't like my Facebook comment the other day, but, um, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I've, I've put in a lot of leg yeah. miles for the organisation in the, in the background, you know, on, you know, particularly on, you know, the development of a new um, cattle accreditation system that would allow us to take advantage of the UK Free Trade Agreement. You know, I put three years into that, taking it all the way from a motion and an ag board meeting, you know, to a working group that spans um, every peak body in the industry to get it across the line. You know, um, I, I sort of without blowing my trumpet, um, yeah. I guess, you know, I hope to work positively with any peak council that we have to, you know, to drive change. And, and sometimes it's not the board seat that matters. It's actually, um, you know, kind of getting in there and getting um, some of the jobs done to, to be able to, you know, I've been the cattle council representative on EMIAC, um, the EMIAC committee, and, and uh, it's been, um, you know, it's a, it's a position, you know, that I enjoy because, you know, one of the rare people that straddle a horse and a processing plant. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Um, you know, it's, um, it's so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm keen to still help behind the scenes more than anything. There's no two ways about it. I think that, 
you know, it, it is a a really big task that's going to take place. And I, I understand. I, I will say that you know, unfortunately, there is always going to be knockers and negative comments. It's a, it just seems to be the way of the world. You want to come into the rugby league world every single week, I get abused. Um, uh, but uh, people should realise that you've done nothing but absolutely put the beef industry at the at the forefront of everything that you've done in all the decisions that you make to try and get the best outcome. So uh, if, if you do raise concerns, they're coming from the best place um, and from a place of genuine interest and passion about the beef industry and no one could ever question that whatsoever. I do hope that – I know that you've sat on plenty of boards. I do hope that you are part of – uh, this moving forward, and I really appreciate your time this morning. How's the abattoir going? You're rolling along. Rolling along, big, um, big audit, federal audit, the last two days. So, um, yes, I'm. Um, you know, it's uh, it's challenging, <laughs> but um, but no, it's um, it's going really good. We really well with, um, you know, the team just keeps getting better and better. So it's pretty exciting. Um, you know, watching what they're achieving. Yeah, perfect. We really appreciate your time this morning, Josie. Thanks so much for being with us. Good on you, Ben. Thank you very much. Cheers. We'll take a break, come back Bye. with more. Cyril Close joins us next. Welcome back to rural Queensland today. 6,300 head at the weekly store sale at Roma yesterday. Uh, Managing Director of Topex Australia and Topex Roma, Cyril Close joins us. Good morning, Cyril. How are you, mate? Hey, good, Dobbo. Very good, mate. Black clouds in the west, threatening, but uh, fine so far. Mate, uh, big yarding of cattle, 6,300 head um, as you march towards the summer. How was the market yesterday? Yeah, great. Very solid on your steer and heifer market, mate. But uh, prime cows were probably back about 10. But uh, overall, a lot of travelled cattle uh, that have come from away and uh, sold a very solid market. So the, the feeder job's been the one that's been very strong. How did it roll in the end? Yeah, well, over. Just over five dollars on your um, on your on your heavy feeders, and then out to the back end, five dollars on your light feeders. Um, Weaner steers were probably the standout yesterday because they're a little bit different to what we've had over a few weeks. A lot lighter weight weaner steers there, um, you know, with not a lot of sap on them. But, you know, 180 to sort of 260 kilos make it out to six, seven dollars fifty, and and the lights folks sort of um, just trying to put those tuck those little blokes away on this good feed. Yeah, it, it, I mean, and and the thing about it is, no one knows what this rain, this rain, rain bank's going to do. So if people could get some cattle, put them home, get them home, and you know, then it, it then it dries out a little bit, bit of sun and a bit of heat. There's going to be an abundance of feed around in the next couple of months, isn't there? And those cattle that are 180 kilos without any sap quickly turn themselves into 320s. Come come up at the back end of the summer. Yeah, that's it, mate. Oh, the timing's perfect, and uh, you know the, the, the variety of feed that's out there now on the back end of the wet winter. Um, you know, and the buffalo starting to get a bit of green shoot in it now uh, with a few warmer days. Um, they're, they're not wanting for a, for a bit of a like a smorgasbord, mate, for tucker. So um, yeah, there was a, that was that element in that market yesterday. You could feel that people just trying to get a few cattle in their paddocks. It's a um, it's a pretty it's a pretty special time. How was the heifer job? Yeah, solid enough too, mate. Like uh, last week where we saw those, um, you know, breeder heifers, there was nothing along those lines, of course. So uh, just your mid-500s was, you know, pretty consistently on most of your category, weight categories. And then uh, the, as we got into a few of those lighter heifers, they were well up uh, just over the $6 mark. Um, so, you know, some pretty some pretty solid results there. 
from your lighter effort through to those heavier feeder weights. Yeah, I mean, this is just something that, that is just so – I'm really positive about it because we've had chats on this where we've had different times. But for the yarding to be – I mean, we're now down almost two years of these consistent prices um, and the market has been so strong and we've had seasons and, and now um, this year – I mean – it, it, it boids well, doesn't it? I mean, you know, we, we've had conversations a year ago where we're saying, oh, how long can it last? Well, well, it, well it has lasted. And look, I'm not going to say that it's going to be at these heights for forever, but the bottom is nowhere near where the bottom was five years ago. And and that is very clear, unless we get a biosecurity outbreak. It is a very, very good time to be in this livestock industry and people should be thankful because it is really rolling along. We're now October the 5th. And we've seen markets yesterday in Roma, once again, buoyant by the back of grass, shortage, weather, and it just keeps on rolling. Yeah, that's about it. It's um, while we're on that national herd rebuild right after the 19 drought, you know, put a nice little fair bit of numbers of cattle. So um, you got that and on the backs of, um, you know, just a couple of consistent seasons. Um, yeah, it, it's why it's all stacking up. Um, so there's... You know, there's a bit more time ahead of us yet, but look at it. Um, so, with the seasons the way they're going, we'd have a you know, great spring and then bashing into a very good summer. Yeah, it, um, it 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 bodes well. The prime job, a fraction softer, mate. Yeah, just a bit, mate. Like some good heavy yielding cows, still laid out to the late eighties, you know, three dollars eighty odd. Um, but yeah, it was probably softer by ten or fifteen. But that's just, they're still making very good money, and I, I don't think it was as good a yarding a cows. Yesterday, as we did have the week before, either you know, just overall, um, and you just get those fluctuations from one week to the next. Yeah, it's um, very, very good. And cows and calves are any of any quality? Were they present? No, nothing of consequence, mate. No, nothing at all. Very quite a number of people wishing they could get a hold of a few, but just for a trade job potentially. But uh, they're few and far between, mate. At the minute, like I say, we're just on this herd rebuild. Uh, it's pretty evident that world. You just there's nowhere near the numbers of those available in the marketplace that they've, you know, issued up the years. Yeah, you're dead right. Um, appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, uh, uh, quite an unbelievable story. You've had some really good sales in your neck of the woods as well from from um, a st- seed stock producers. There's been some phenomenal sales throughout uh, Roma and, and, and sales uh, uh, unbelievable that you've been a part of over the last couple of weeks. Uh, it is coming to an end, but gee whiz, it's been solid. Yeah, mate, yeah, just on just been on our way out to look through the Waco Bulls for the sale on the 19th of October, and um, and then we've got another one that we're involved in, which is Warren Point Herefords, yep. uh, on, on the 14th, mate, so they're their last two, but yeah, the juggernaut rolls on this year in that, uh, in that seed stock industry. Yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable. Thanks so much for being with us this morning, we appreciate it. Um, we'll catch up again shortly. Cheers, mate. Thank good, you. Good on you, Cyril Close, um, as we continue to march forward. Now, I should talk about, obviously, day two of Brahman Week, um, where it topped at 110,000. For the second day in a row, Rockhampton Brahman Week sale reached six figures. It was 138 grey bulls and 131 red bulls were snapped up in eight hours. So it was the Kirk family gained a Corinna Wickham that sold to the Scott family Ruan Grays in Claremont for 110,000. Uh, that was the top selling um, and was a 23-month horned uh, son of Corinna Bonewood. Now, the sale was quite unbelievable uh, yesterday. And I'll give you the stats completely. 
404 of the 414 greys that sold during the first day and a half were sold to an overall average of 16,382 for a gross of 6.7 million. On day two, 131 of the 141 Red Bulls that were offered and sold averaged 16,644. During the first two days of sale, more than 1,400 viewers watched online via Stocklife, while buyers from every state except Tasmania are active on the online platform. The final day begins this morning uh, and is underway. It's had its first hour and is just rolling along. But it what a phenomenal result for the Greys. 404 bulls offered uh, of the 414 offered have been sold for an average of 16,382 for a gross of more than 6.7 million. And on day two yesterday for the Reds, of 141 Red Bulls offered, 131 were sold to average 16,644. They are really rolling along, the Brahman breed. Uh, another great result, Brahman Week. Day three underway as we speak. We're going to take a break, come back. This is Rural Queensland today. Well, that's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland today. Hope you've enjoyed the show. We're back tomorrow morning, same time, same place. Ray Hadley joins you next. And remember, when the weed is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. We'll see you tomorrow across Queensland, Rural Queensland today with Ben Dobbin. Till next time, it's bye for now.